the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. 18th, 2022. I am Seth Liebson, and our phone number is 602-508-0960. That's 602-508960. As many of you know, I've been fascinated by the erosion and destruction of the work ethic here in America. We see a highlight of it today, maybe a low light, with the news out of Twitter and Elon Musk. This week, Elon Musk wrote a memo to Twitter employees saying, quote, going forward to build a breakthrough Twitter 2.0 and succeed in an increasingly competitive world, we will need to be extremely hardcore. This will mean working long hours at high intensity. Only exceptional performance will constitute a passing grade, close quote. If you are not exceptional, you must no longer work from home. You have to actually show up at the office. If you stay at home, his memo went on to say, your supervisor will be responsible for your performance. Employees who did not agree to these terms, hard work, were offered three months severance. Oh, the average salary at Twitter is over six figures. The employees, it seems, aren't having it. Newspapers and other programs today are reporting that hundreds of employees, hundreds, walked out of Twitter over the past 24 hours, and Twitter is being forced to close its offices. Imagine an employer requesting hard work for great pay and showing up in the office if your work is not substantiated as high performing. As Charles Stallworth wrote, and he happens to be a Newsweek contributor whose day job is as a railroad worker, Twitter's employees are getting a lot of love and sympathy on Twitter from the Blue Check Brigade, who are appalled. What about the others in this country who are appalled at the idea that you can get fired for humiliating your boss publicly or for, or for refusing to, you know, show up at all? He continues, but it's hard to explain to people in the laptop class just how bizarre this all sounds to blue-collar workers. You're being asked to show up to work, and you tell your boss no, and you're the victim? This just isn't stuff we could imagine getting away with. We have to get dressed and drive to work, and pay exorbitant gas prices to do so. We have to sit in traffic in the morning or take crime-addled public transportation. We don't have the luxury of sitting at home in pajama bottoms. He continued, All throughout the COVID response, we blue-collar workers showed up to work, day in and day out. There was no stay-at-home-to-save-lives for us. We risked illness while these people got to work at home while watching TV in their pajamas, close quote. We here have talked with Nick Eberstadt about this several times, or at least this phenomenon several times, as he concludes... While many are celebrating our official low unemployment rate here, recall that official unemployment rate counts those actively looking for work. 
if all those who have dropped out of the labor force entirely are included in this calculus, rates of non-working men swell to Depression-era levels. 14% of prime-age men opt not to work or even look for work. Most of them, he writes, with ages in the 20s, 30s, and 40s, are simply not lurking for work instead so they can spend their time in front of screens and relying on a mix of family and government benefits to get by. Oh, and gobbling a lot of opioids, too. Half of all these men taking themselves out of the workforce are addicted to drugs. Pardon the phraseology, the pun, but good work, that. We've ruined the work ethic here. I spoke a bunch about this during the shutdowns during COVID, and it's still worth talking and thinking about, especially the next time an employer asks employees getting paid six figures to give it their all and actually show up, especially as so many of these employees are little more than children in adult bodies. When we speak of the years it is going to take to overcome what was done to this country in the name of COVID, this entire country, we must remember this is a disease that took one-tenth of one percent of our working-age population's lives, with the most liberal and expansive of counting. A disease that had a 98.4% recovery rate, with the most liberal and expansive of counting. When we speak of the years we will need to overcome what was done to stave off all that, We usually think about our children and their learning loss and our children and adults and their mental health effects. We don't similarly think of the economy as much. And yet, we obviously need to. We obviously should. Work and financial concerns can drive mental and indeed physical health negatives. And they can also drive societal ethics, athea, and addiction relapses. For millions of Americans, we destroyed this work ethic. Early on, we suggested our concerns here, and it's probably worth thinking about them again as the concerns now drive wholesale the retail problems we must come to grips with. Small part of it, but can I ask if any of you have had the experience of going to an office or a retailer or a business lately where there are employees and somehow they seem to think you're an inconvenience? or rather at least second in concern to their own pace and interests? What indeed did these government-mandated work stoppages wreck on our society? Of course, we have all known there was always a substrat of people who do not want to work, who would rather take the subventions rather than employment. That, I suppose, will always be with us, but it's never been this in many. Men generally want to and need to work. It is indeed a virtue. As John Witherspoon taught his students, including James Madison at the College of New Jersey, now known as Princeton, he said, do not live useless and die contemptible. What an odd thing, then, that there was so much contempt and derision for people who wanted to redress their government over the grievance of a government telling them they cannot work. Be they white-collar workers, truckers, restauranteurs, waiters, beauticians, or other employers and employees. After all... It was not so long ago that even the Democratic Party used to push and promote welfare reform that encouraged work. As Dr. Bennett put it, ours is a country of men and women who began with a very little, but they did have a willingness to work. 
and to save and to make good. John Locke made a great case for modern industriousness in his second treatise on government. He wrote, God gave the world to men in common, but since he gave it to them for their benefit and the greatest conveniences of life, they were capable to draw from it. It cannot be supposed he meant it should always remain common and uncultivated. He gave it to the use of the industrious and rational, not to the fancy or covetousness of the quarrelsome and contentious. He that had his good left for his improvement and was already taken up need not complain, ought not to meddle with what was already improved by another's labor. If he did, it is plain he desired the benefit of another's pains, which he had no right to and not the ground which God had given him in common with others to labor on, and whereof there was as good left as that already possessed, and more than he knew what to do with, or his industry could reach. Old English. If our children are to grow up to be among the industrious and rational and not the covetous or quarrelsome, they must be raised with an appreciation of the importance of work. So, too, must our government encourage it. Work is the best way to teach and learn the virtues of its own rewards. As Locke put it, children like men hate to be idle. Industry comes naturally to children. Think about, as I've illustrated before, children love to play store. And they love to build with blocks and Legos. They used to have, in my dad's days, what were known as erector sets. They like to open things, like lemonade stands. Our founders understood this inherently as well, whether they learned it from John Locke or John Witherspoon, or just human nature. As Benjamin Franklin put it, dost thou love life? Then do not squander time. That is the stuff life is made of. Industriousness, as it turns out, is a way of self-improvement. Sloth and indolence, those were actually once upon a time seen as sins. Why do we hate slavery? A lot of reasons. One, as Lincoln put it, quote, you work and toil and earn bread and I'll eat it, no matter in what shape it comes, whether from the mouth of a king who seeks to bestride the people of his own nation and live by the fruit of their labor, or from one race of men as an apology for enslaving another race, it's the same old tyrannical principle. Or, echoing Genesis, he put it this way in his second inaugural address, Lincoln did, we should not be wringing the bread from the sweat of other men's faces. Elsewhere, Lincoln said, property is the fruit of labor. Property is desirable. It is a positive good in the world. That some should be rich shows that others may become rich, and hence just encouragement to industry and enterprise. Let not him who is houseless pull down the house of another, but let him work diligently to build one for himself, thus by example assuring that his own shall be safe from violence. I take it It is best for all to leave each man free to acquire property as fast as he can. Some will get wealthy. I don't believe in a law to prevent a man from getting rich. It would do more harm than good, Lincoln said. Just encouragement to industry and enterprise. Good words, those. Work was a theme for so many of our Rushmore greats. I just gave you some Lincoln. When he was governor of New York, Theodore Roosevelt put it this way, quote, A life of ignoble ease a life of that peace which springs merely from lack either of, from lack either of desire or of power to strive after great things is as little worthy of a nation as of an individual i ask only that what every self-respecting american demands from himself and from his sons shall be demanded of the american nation as a whole 
Who among you would teach your boys that ease, that peace, is to be the first consideration in their eyes, to be the ultimate goal after which they strive? We do not admire the man of timid peace. We admire the man who embodies victorious effort, the man who never wrongs his neighbor, who is prompt to help a friend, but who has those virile qualities necessary to win in the stern strife of actual life. It is hard to fail, but it is worse never to have tried to succeed. In this life, we get nothing save by effort. Freedom from effort in the present merely means that there has been stored up effort in the past. If man treats his periods of freedom from the need of actual labor as a period not of preparation, but of mere enjoyment, he shows that he is simply a cumberer of the earth's surface, and he is surely unfit himself to hold his own with his fellows if the need to do so should again arise. A mere life of ease is not, in the end, a very satisfactory life, and above all, it is a life which ultimately unfits those who follow it for serious work in the world. He concluded this way, Quote, I preach to you then, my countrymen, that our country calls not for the life of ease, but for the life of strenuous endeavor. If we stand idly by, if we seek merely swollen, slothful ease and ignoble peace, if we shrink from the hard contests where men must win at hazard of their lives and at the risk of all they hold dear, then the bolder and stronger peoples will pass us by and will win for themselves the domination of the world. Let us therefore boldly face the life of strife, resolute to do our duty well and manfully, resolute to uphold righteousness by deed and by word, resolute to be both honest and brave, to serve high ideals, yet to use practical methods. Above all, let us shrink from no strife, moral or physical, within or without the nation, provided we are certain that the strife is justified, for it is only through strife, through hard and dangerous endeavor, that we shall ultimately win the goal of true national greatness, close quote. Great phrase there, isn't there? National greatness. This is how we achieve it. Thomas Paine started his essays about what we were fighting for here with that very same notion. I'm sorry to go on. I just thought it was a great tribute to industriousness and work. Work to the founders and to us, I should think, was and is a public virtue for the benefit of our entire community. Industry and constant employment, Benjamin Franklin wrote, are great preservations of the morals and virtues of a nation. To better our condition, as the founders would put it, is nothing different from what we call pursuing the American dream. In 1986, President Reagan put it this way, quote, How many self-made men and women in America of all ethnic backgrounds owe their success to the strength of character given them by hardworking, loving parents? But for the children of child mothers and absentee fathers, there is often only a deepening cycle of futility, hopelessness, and despair. We're in danger of creating a permanent culture of poverty as inescapable as any chain or bond, a second and separate America, an America of lost dreams and stunted lives, close quote. Sound a little bit like the folks at Twitter? A man out of work as people like J.D. Vance and Reams of Social Science show, leads to the lazy way out of responsibilities and the choice instead of alcohol, drugs, and welfare and disability checks over a commitment to hard work, family, and community. And the price for such hedonism and decadence is violence, addiction, emptiness, depression, even suicide. There's a reason for our old saying, it turns out, idle hands are the devil's workshop. I worry about this a lot right now. 
Telling people not to work was the opposite of everything we've ever done. Mandating it was even worse. And now, given all the data, the effort was nothing short of hysterical. That is to say, not funny, but based on hysteria. And we now have children in adult bodies who, when asked to work hard for their six-figure salaries, would rather throw a tantrum, just like a child would. All this simply is not good, and simply not natural. Whirlwinds will come from these convulsions, which is why we were right all along. Work rather than welfare, education rather than lazy ignorance, are, were, and should be not just our guideposts and beacons, but our morality. For all our health, physical, mental, civic, and yes, now, I guess we should also include economic. I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. Be right. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. It's Open Line Friday. Anything on your mind you want to talk about or bring up, that's what we're here for, 602-5080-960. Um, you will recall that the last pitch to the American people before the election two Tuesdays ago now, two Tuesdays ago now, uh, the last pitch they were making went on for about two and a half, three weeks, was that to vote for a Republican would be to threaten democracy. And, of course, that stage was set step by step with all the talk of Republicans being the party of fascism and fear, as the head of the DNC put it several times, and as Joe Biden said. First, we're fascists, so thus if you vote for us, the uh, ontology goes, you will be ending democracy. Wait till I show you what happened here. <laughs> what happened here? Fox News. The leading candidate to replace Nancy, and all of that, of course, all of that was founded, I, I guess I should say, all of that was founded upon the notion that some Republicans didn't think that the 2020 election was on the up and up. Some Democrats didn't. Some independents didn't. So here we go from Fox News. The leading candidate to replace Nancy Pelosi as the next House Democratic leader is a 2016 election denier who openly argued that former President Donald Trump was an illegitimate president. His words, illegitimate president. We'll talk about this when we come right back. We'll see if all this fascism and fear and election denial stuff goes away um, after this election. Or, you know, it's kind of an interesting thing. The Republicans are going to be the majority in the House. Are we going to see a ramping up of the language of fascism from the Republican House of Representatives? And just what do you think it will be? Open committee hearings? Oh, my gosh. No, I want to say more about this when we come back. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, portions of which are brought to you by Y-Refi. If you're concerned with stock market volatility, Y-Refi has an investment in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return not correlated to the stock market. 
a portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises. You can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you choose, and there's no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. Your interest is compounded daily, you're paid monthly, and there are no fees. This is a secure, collateralized portfolio that delivers a high fixed interest rate. How high? Up to 10.25% rate of return. That's right, up to 10 and a quarter percent rate of return. Why Refi is a due diligence approved firm, and you can check them out at investyrefi.com. The word invest, the letter Y, then R-E-F-Y.com. Or give them a call at 888-YREFI-34. That's 888-YREFI-34. Talk to them. You can meet with them. They're locally based, and um, they won't give you a sales pitch. They leave that to me and Larry Elder. They just like talking about what it is that they do, Let it speak, letting it speak for itself. It's talking about, you know, you remember it wasn't that long ago, not that long ago at all, not quite two weeks where Democrats were warning that uh, if Republicans get elected into Congress, we will uh, be pushing a threat to democracy because, of course, the Republican Party is the party of fascism and fear, as the head of the DNC likes to say. And a lot of that is based uh, on any number of policies, I suppose, but first and foremost on election denial. And uh, the leading candidate right now, as Fox News is reporting, the leading candidate to replace Nancy Pelosi as the next uh, leader, House Democratic leader, is a classic election denier. Uh, He openly spoke often of President Donald Trump as an illegitimate president. It's interesting, isn't it, how many times in the debates in this last election Republican candidates were asked if Joe Biden was legitimately elected. Does anyone remember asking any Democrats, anyone asking any Democrats from 2016 to two weeks ago if they thought Donald Trump was legitimately elected? No. No, because they would choke on the answer. House Democratic Conference Chair Hakeem Jeffries announced Friday he's running to lead Democrats in the next off in the next Congress. And he appears to have a clear path to the job since no other challenger has emerged so far. And he has won praise from other Democrats. But Jeffries was one of the key Democrats who questioned whether Trump legitimately won the 2016 election due to alleged Russian interference and collusion. He often made statements about Trump's 2016 victory that are, well, similar to what you might call election denial. Here's one from 2018, a tweet of Jeffries from 2018. A year into the, a, a, to the second year of Donald Trump's presidency. Quote, the more we learn about 2016, the more illegitimate it becomes. Another, America deserves to know whether we have a fake president in the Oval Office. Here's another from only two years ago. History will never accept you as a legitimate president. He also claimed in one tweet that Donald Trump was, no, maybe a Russian asset. Lie, cheat, and steal. When will Republicans put country ahead of party? Jeffrey tweeted. Jeffrey's tweeted. Is Donald Trump a legitimate president? A Russian asset? An organized crime boss? Or an idiot? Jeffrey's tweeted in 2019. He concluded that one with, the American people need to know. Pretty interesting. Democrats have criticized Trump for nearly five years. Five years. And asked this week if Jeffries still believes Russia stole the 2016 election for Trump. Jeffries' office indicated 
that is still the case and told Fox News Digital his, quote, observations about the twice impeached Florida man speak for themselves, close quote. This is going to be the leader of the Democrats in the House of Representatives. Jeffrey's candidacy is predictably splitting Republicans and Democrats in the House, the story says. James Comer of Kentucky said, quote, he's even further to the left of Nancy Pelosi. And that's the problem with the Democratic Party. Yeah. Dennis Prager opened his show yesterday saying Nancy Pelosi is announcing she's stepping down from the speakership of the House of Representatives, he said. And that's all I have to say about that. And he said, because there's nothing more to say except that she'll be replaced by someone even farther to the left. He was right. I'll talk more about that when we come back or anything else you like on this Open Lines Friday, 602-508-0960. Well, they don't don't sound like that, but the Trans-Siberian Orchestra is great holiday music. I I, I certainly recall Rush Limbaugh playing them all the time. After Thanksgiving. Um, Anyway, they are coming to the Footprint Center here. That's uh, right there in downtown Phoenix on December 4th, 2022. And the next caller, we will give uh, a free pair of tickets to that concert. Trans-Siberian Orchestra Footprint Center, December 4th, 2022. A free pair of tickets. You go to the concert for free is what I'm trying to say on us. Two tickets. Um, If you are the next caller, either David or Bill will help you out. But 602-508-0960 is the way to do that. All right. So uh, this was kind of something that uh, I had been saving for what I hoped would be true, which was that the uh, House of Representatives was going to go to the Republican Party. I love doing that. I love seeing those lines. Just It's the early Christmas tree with all those lines lighting up. I love that. When I was hoping that the uh, Republicans would take the House as they have, uh, I was saving this piece from about a week ago from our friends at Issues and Insights. Now that uh, one House of Congress is going to be in the hands of people who threaten our democracy, in the hands of fascists, um, what are we really to expect now with them pushing their agenda? Even if they know it might be stopped in the Senate or Joe Biden's anti-fascist veto pen, we should expect at least a shrinking of government, right? Or an agenda that blocks government growth. Jim Garrity reports that on the first day, Kevin McCarthy's GOP-led House legislation to rescind the permanent appropriation for 87,000 new Internal Revenue Service employees will be introduced. First act. How fascist of the Republicans to try and take the boot of government off America's necks. Any anti-fascist would, of course, expand the government and minimize liberty, no? We should also expect the grand old fascist to return to the deregulation work list that was started by Donald Trump. The same with tax cuts, which are so fascistic that they limit government's reach and empower private citizens. As fascists, we further anticipate Republicans to push policies that free rather than restrict energy production, and that decreases U.S. reliance on foreign sources. Isn't that what fascists have always done? We can also see the Republicans working within the limits of Washington uh, on Washington set forth by the Constitution, the most fascistic document of all, and unfolding it, of its freedom agenda, 
a gateway to, quote, preserve American culture, restore American strength, and return America to prosperity, close quote. Meanwhile, those anti-fascist Democrats, with their husk of a man still in the White House, will agitate for executive orders that are nothing but law enacted by fiat rather than duly legislated. These diktats will include declaring a climate crisis, furthering federalization election law to rig elections, and increasing the censorship of free speech. They will continue to co-opt the press as a means to establish a state media friendly only to Democrats, resisting efforts to keep government from intruding into private matters, seeking greater control over businesses, and tacitly and sometimes openly promoting political violence and using the Justice Department to ruin and subjugate their political enemies. The Constitution will mean nothing to them. It's merely an impediment to their objectives. Let's do it again, folks. Fascism is a form of socialism. So tell us who the real fascists in America are. Are they from the party that supports less government and greater liberty? Or are they from the party that has for decades chipped away at freedom, promoted dependence on government, and worked rights weekends and holidays to create a collectivist governing system while increasing its power over a nation? The answer is obvious, but it seems that not enough voters caught on to the Democrats' word tricks and took this chance to throw all those bums out in the sort of free election that really never takes place in a fascist regime. It doesn't mean that they, along with the media, won't continue to screech about fascism and white supremacy the well, because that's who they are, real fascists. By the way, speaking about that, just one thing about chipping away at our history, it is uh, worth pointing out, I, I don't know that I did or did a good enough job of doing so, saying so, um, the, um, the point that the superintendent of public instruction here was won by a Republican, Tom Horn. Uh, he has defeated Kathy Hoffman. Kathy Hoffman conceded the race to him. This is great news. Most of that work, that curriculum work, as we've discussed many a time here, takes place at the school board level. But it is great to have an ally in the superintendent's office who knows this issue, this critical race theory stuff, and this 1619 nonsense, as well as anyone can, maybe better than almost anyone else. He knows this well. He started going after it many years ago in his first tour of duty at the superintendent's office. While I'm at it, while I'm at mentioning that, um, worth pointing out, for those of us that are still kind of wishing we did better or existed going into November 7th on what we call hopium, I guess, not seeing the victories we all really wished we could see everywhere that we wanted them, take, take some heart. We Republicans maintained and have control of the state house and the Senate majority. We have the state legislature. We have the treasurer's office. We have the state superintendent, as mentioned. We have the corporate corporation commission. We have six out of nine House seats. We now have the majority of House seats. The Democrats had the majority of an Arizona delegation of the House of Representatives. Now Republicans do. AG race will go to a recount. The ACGOP has a fighting chance to really thrive. We've made a lot of gains. Maybe not all the big ones we wanted, but a lot. A lot that constitute a really good ground game. We just have to play smart hardball. 
I've been hearing a lot of that lately, haven't you? A lot of that on other shows that Republicans have to do better on the mechanics of elections, not just the rhetoric and not just the candidacies and not just the get out the vote effort, but the mechanics of it. That's something we're going to have to do a lot better on. I have a couple ideas for the AZGOP, of course, and uh, taking a good hard look at uh, any irregularities or concerns that took place, any incompetencies that took place two Tuesdays ago. I think that we should have an audit. I think they should host some kind of a local audit, not one from an out-of-state interest, not one from any kind of entity that is using it as a fundraising effort, but a serious audit. Get some serious election attorneys. There are some in this state, really well-respected, nationally respected. Get one from either side. Get a Republican, get a Democrat, and have them do it. Have an audit. Have a look under the hood of what took place here so that we can all have surety and fixity in our system. And then I'd get to work on a new elections manual, not the kind that comes from the Secretary of State's office, but one that's designed particularly for Republicans to confront, meet, and beat the Democrats at that game. That would be a pretty good first start, I'd think, for the AZGOP next year. All right, 602-508-0960. I'm Seth Leapson. We got our Trans-Siberian Orchestra winners. Open lines Friday. We'll be right back. It's been used as money for nearly 3,000 years, and it remains a common-sense investment that's simple and straightforward. You don't need a pushy commission salesperson to tell you why you should buy gold. You already want it. All you need is a reputable dealer with advice based on experience and a complete range of bullion and coins so you get what you want at the best value. Enter the Midas Gold Group. They're veteran-owned and proud supporters of this show and this station. They're fighting for your right to the financial privacy and stability that gold offers. Trust the dealer that I, Seb Gorka, and thousands of you already know and trust, the Midas Gold Group. You can visit them in person at 625 West Deer Valley Road in Phoenix, or give them a call at 480-360-3000, 480-360-3000, or check them out online at MidasGoldGroup.com. That's MidasGoldGroup.com. I was reminded of something I wanted to talk about as well a few moments ago. I see Jordan Peterson. Many of you know who Dr. Jordan Peterson is. His account was restored on Twitter. Might it be that it's this kind of thing in part two that these uh, – these Twitter employees are, are against – they want Twitter to fail just as much as they want to be paid six figures without having to work hard because they don't like that Elon Musk is doing that sort of thing, returning people like Jordan Peterson to Twitter after being canceled from Twitter, after being thrown off, or I guess the phrase of art is suspended, word of art is suspended from Twitter. I had an interesting experience, and it was super uplifting – I don't know how many of you out there are Jordan Peterson fans. Oh, by the way, do you, does anyone recall why Jordan Peterson was suspended from Twitter? I do. He was questioning transgenderism. He was questioning transgenderism, particularly of um, of an actress actor uh, going. I think I think that actor goes by the name Elliot Page now. Was originally Ellen Page, and the irony to me of all that was that. Ellen Page would not be known. Her major movie, her, 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 her entree, was playing a girl who gets pregnant. 
now this actor claims to be a man. Anyway, a couple weeks ago, I went to a speech of Jordan Peterson's uh, downtown, and what blew me away, blew me away, was the audience was of all ages. Maybe some of you were in this audience were there. Maybe many of you were. I'd love to hear from you if you were. I'd love to hear your takeaway from it if you saw what I saw. First of all, all ages. I mean, you know, from high school to retiree. And 5,000 people were there. And he was sold out for two nights in a row. That means 5,000 people one night and then 5,000 people the next night. I was blown away that there is that interest in this deep intellectual discussion from this man who's a who's no question a conservative it was not a political speech i don't know if you would even if you weren't told he was a conservative if you would even know he spoke to the values and maybe the virtues we we speak about here or do in our monologues and a little bit like today and i suppose if you speak about the virtues these days you're considered a conservative but it blew me away it was a delight to see and it gave me a lot of hope that there is a thirst in this in this city for that. There is an interest in this city for that. And it's not confined to one age group. All right, don't go away. A lot more coming up. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.